So today we're interviewing the State Senator of District 29 of California, Josh Newman, and Public Policy Associate for Crystal Stairs Incorporated, Justin Blakely. Our conversation will mainly revolve around Assembly Bill uh, 1649, also known as the Child Care and Development Services Act, uh, which was introduced by Assemblymember Sharon Corksilva earlier this year in January. So let's first start with a brief introduction. So we'll start with you and then move on to Senator Newman. Yeah. Thank you. Um, excited to be here. Uh, my name is Justin Blakely. Um, I'm the Public Policy Associate for Crystal Stairs. Um, also LA County Commissioner for uh, the Policy Roundtable for Child Care and Development. Um, really excited to be here. Um, this bill is uh, very important. Really glad to have the Senator here as well to discuss it. And uh, we're really, um, really recognizing that there's a great um, need to address long-term um, you know, issues and actually fund them long-term solutions um, right now here in the state of California. So excited. And I'm um, State Senator Josh Newman, represent this area, um, and today I'm actually standing in for Sharon Quicksilver, who's actually the, the assembly author mm -hmm. of AB 1649. But, the, the, you know, this bill, and we'll get into it, is, is, is really important to level the playing field, ensure that working people, working families, especially working moms, uh, have, have predictable access to child care because that is uh, the pandemic has proven that can be the difference between being, being able to work uh, and, and a family to meet its needs or not and so this is a very important bill to make sure that continues to be the case. Mm -hmm. So let's actually first start get started with what is AB 1649 you know and what does it do for families in California? Yeah, um, I'll go ahead and start off the conversation. Uh, what, what AB 1649 does is it essentially addresses the need for the poorest and most low-income families to be able to return back to the workforce. Um, if you um, look at it this way, um, our families in the pandemic and also uh, once they um, are, as we try to return back into the workforce, um, you know, there's a central need for uh, child care. Um, there's the nine to five uh, traditional, um, you know, able to work in, in those settings uh, parent. And then there's also those who work the untraditional hours, the five to nine, for example. And um, essentially this, uh, you know, as the senator even said, you know, uh, levels out the playing field. It, it provides equity that not only is the nine to five traditional working family able to take their child to a high quality, affordable child care uh, provider, but also that five to nine uh, non-traditional uh, parent family can take their child into um, a child care facility, a family child care home, and still get that high quality, uh, affordable child care. And, and let me just add, the, the other side of this is, is at the child care level. And so, you know, child care is in the best of times a challenging business and, and for the most part it's 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 delivered by um, entrepreneurs mostly women uh, often out of their homes and and so uh, also important to remember that it's it's very uh, explicitly regulated in California so because of that these are hard businesses to make work in the best of times but in an, in a time of real uncertainty you know with, with uh, where a child care provider doesn't know whether or not they can count on uh, parents to be able to afford, uh, especially if, if they're working out working, to afford predictably to have their kids in child care, it creates really uh, intense pressures on their businesses. And so that, that's one of the issues that 1649 addresses. We need to provide stability and predictability for those businesses so they will be there uh, for working families when they have to, you know, so they have a place to safely and, and sort of in a nurturing place for their kids so they can continue working. 
and I think these are some great goals that we're setting, but how does that break down for one specific family? Could you explain how that voucher month by one, month by month would work? Yeah, so um, essentially if you, if you take, uh, you know, um, I, I kind of talked about it earlier, you know, the nine to five traditional working family and then you get the five to nine. Um, I'll kind of break it down this way. Um, you know, uh, let, let's, like I said, let's take a two single mom head of household. Um, they're both, uh, you know, working a hard paying uh, California minimum, minimum wage job at $15 an hour. Uh, the mom who has a guaranteed set a number of, set number of hours of nine to five gets a subsidized child care voucher, uh, let's say of six hundred dollars. Um, the other mom has a job as a waitress where her job uh, work hours are unstable. Um, there, you know, again, how I talked about that five to nine and say her voucher is six hundred two. Um, but for her case, the five to nine, the waitress, um, you know, uh, you know, a mother uh, would uh, not be able to get childcare unless she worked, or the childcare or the child gets sick. Um, it would not be able to get paid for. So essentially, what AB 1649 is doing is addressing that if the parent, whether they're nine to five, you know, in those traditional working hours, or a five to nine, a waitress who maybe have unstable working hours, uh, as long as they meet the income um, eligibility, excuse me, it's early for the tongue twisters, <laughs> eligibility documentation, they're all guaranteed high quality, affordable child care. And that's really what this is uh, talking about. In addition to um, the need for addressing um, um, uh, the need for a stability uh, to come for um, the ECE workforce, child care providers, some mass exodus of them leaving the workforce. So this is another way to kind of be able to solve that equity gap that's um, you know disproportionately affecting women of color returning to work and also the women of color that make up the child care provider industry. Thank you for explaining that. Um, so how will this bill kind of you know, legislative, in the legislative sense, address disparities in the current system? So, so what this bill will do, mm -hmm. what, what this bill does is it picks up uh, where a governor's executive order left right. off. So the governor, during the pandemic, uh, we as a state recognized that, you know, this was one of the key uh, uh, obstacles to working families, especially women of color, uh, continue to participate in the workforce during a very challenging time, right? Because if you don't have a place uh, to safely place your kids, you cannot work. And if you're on the other side of the equation, if you're the child care provider, and you can't, you don't have the certainty uh, of payment. You, you know, it's it's hard to run that business, particularly while maintaining the necessary ratios around care. Uh, so what this bill will do is is uh, the the governor's executive order will sunset uh, on June 30th. This will continue uh, to provide you know, the subsidy amounts. Uh, and what's interesting is there's actually a bunch of money left over that's not been spent. So this provides a legal basis for spending that, that those unspent monies uh, and make sure that these vouchers get to the, 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 the women and families that really need them. Right. So, so what happens if it doesn't pass on June 30th? We will be back to, unfortunately, where we would have been in the absence of the governor's executive order, which is, and, and what we're seeing in, in any event, which is you're seeing, as Justin mentioned, um, you know, real instability in the child care marketplace mm -hmm. that creates a, a sort of a negative spiral where, you know, fewer child care providers, fewer opportunities for, for people to, you know, for day, for care for their kids, fewer opportunities to work, less income for the people who would otherwise pay these providers. We're trying to reverse that cycle uh, and make it go uh, in a positive direction. Right. 
Right. So we're definitely time sensitive on this bill. Yeah. Um, so. And I, I want to add one more thing, it, and it's it's easy. Um, you know, it, right now, right? It's 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 May fourteenth, and it, it it can feel to many of us like the pandemic is subsiding, right? For the most part, the worst parts are over. But it's really important to remember that the pandemic it, it really had. There were two pandemics. There was a pandemic for the the top half of the wage scale. You know, most many of uh, us left largely unscathed. At the bottom half of the wage scale, where frontline workers work, where you know, where where working families who are most challenged are in all the pressures in California, that economic crisis whether or not we're wearing masks or not, continues. Uh, and it's really important to recognize that. It will be several years before we work our way out of this. And it's really important to make sure that we give California workers, especially you know, women uh, and single heads of families, opportunities to continue working to dig their way out of this crisis. All right, so my next question is, childcare in California, is it, uh, prior, before this bill, is it, Provided by the California government, or does it work with nonprofits and private businesses entirely? Right, right. So, uh, California uh, subsidized child care system is really funded by monies from the federal and state government. Um, before COVID, uh, or excuse me, during COVID, I should say, um, a lot of the child care was funded by um, uh, or funded for supporting local critical essential workers. So, not only our health care workers, but our frontline staff at our grocery stores. Um, you know, uh, we know everybody, the, the first uh, responders, excuse me. Um, and so essentially we also had, um, uh, that was funded through the federal CARES dollars. And what that showed us is that if childcare was not, um, you know, operating at its full function as it was, um, a lot of our frontline essential workers would not be able to return to work in would not been able to keep California's economy moving through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it really illuminated the fact that, um, you know, uh, we have uh, California's uh, to work program, CalWORKs, which is about uh, the vouchers from the AB 49 is focused on uh, predetermined a part of California's annual, annual budget process. So this money is already here. Um, you know, in this process, you know, the line item is determined by uh, you know, uh, how many slots are in California. So uh, we know that the governor is going to be able to pay the 36,000 uh, child care subsidized slots. So this essentially is be going to be able to pay for those slots. It's going to be able to keep those providers with a guaranteed understanding that they are going to get, um, if they're a child care facility that can house 14, they are guaranteed to make sure that they will get reimbursed for those uh, 14 slots as long as the childcare slot is filled. So that's what this bill is really doing, and it's based off of that voucher system. Right, and, and uh, both of you have mentioned that, you know, there have been two pandemics, right? Some people have just been disproportionately impacted by it. And we've also talked about how some people just don't have regular hours. They have jobs that don't allow for that. So those families in particular, how would this change um, other aspects of their life, like how would this change their economic um, standing, how would this change um, their recovery from the pandemic? So, so to Justin's point, um, you know, the state doesn't subsidize, does not pay for childcare directly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we, we try to let the market kind of uh, operate as, as markets should. Uh, but to, to his point, you know, you've got a, 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 number, you know, a, a large number of small providers. They have to conform to state regulations. And so, uh, they can only maintain as many slots as they can predictably pay for. Mm -hmm. and, and what the alternative payment systems do for eligible families is make sure uh, 
that that money goes directly to the child care providers. What this bill does uh, is, is ensure stability and predictability for those providers. Mm-hmm. So if you think of it this way, you know, so if, if, um, if you're a restaurant, right, and you, and you take reservations and people continually don't show up for those reservations, you're, you're going to lose money. You're going to buy food. You're going to staff for it. And something similar has happened in the child care industry. And, and so the consequences of that are mm-hmm. quite severe, right? They have this kind of, you know, spiraling impact. And so, so all this does says is, you know, I have a six-year-old, and she goes to daycare after school, uh, and we pay on a weekly basis. And because of that, the, the private daycare facility we go to can make staffing decisions, can make investments, and can also have has the assurance they can cover all of their normal fixed costs. A child care provider serving working families in the absence of this certainty does not have that assurance. And because of that, they're in a very precarious state both for their business, but just as importantly for the, for the working people who need that childcare. Yeah, um, and, and I'll even bring it to something even more at home um, that's even localized in L.A. County. Uh, for example, uh, I was talking to a childcare provider who's been in the game for, uh, I would say, about 30 years um, at least, and she told me during the pandemic that essentially she did not know who would be returning back the next day, you know, um, meaning, you know, whether it was from the mother, uh, most times, uh, you know, being sent home because she maybe uh, contracted uh, the COVID-19, you know, um, and then you have the child who maybe caught something and has to now go home, which means the mother then has to stay home with the child. So, you know, it's 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 all these different things, and that has an adverse effect on the child care provider who's not, all, not only not getting paid a salary for their work that they're doing, not um, having um, essential benefits, uh, very basic need healthcare benefits. Um, they don't take vacation. Um, they really have the food insecurity and the housing insecurity that many working families also have. They are part of that, that population. And essentially, um, if they um, do not have something that AB 1649 is doing, Um, we will continue to see um, um, poverty continue to cycle in in the, you know, the the, those who are already at the uh, bottom of, uh, you know, the economic status that our communities are faced with, um, they will continue to go down and sink further in and it will be much more difficult to pull them out. And so that's why equity is a great lens that we need to continue to move forward in California policy when addressing inequities in the early care and education system. And, and I, would, I would just add to that, not, not only does this have an equity benefit, it has a broader economic benefit, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, you know, the more we can keep people working, uh, the more we can keep children in daycare, um, you know, the, 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 the less we as a state have to cover all of those shortfalls, right? Okay. Rent arrearages, utility arrearages, mm-hmm. unemployment. Uh, and so over the longer span, and this is why this is important as a, as a larger strategy for making sure that our child care system uh, is properly balanced and funded, uh, this is the avenue for working people. If, if you can't work, right, for whatever reason, but, it, you know, the irony is, you know, you have kids, you want nothing but the best for those kids, uh, and you, you have sort of a technical reason why we can't fund the daycare that would otherwise you know, provide a stable, nurturing place for those kids. It's, it's really, over the long haul, short-sighted, right? Because we're going to lose the benefit of all this amazing talent in our workforce simply because they're working moms. 
Uh, and, and that's not fair, and it also has a detrimental impact on their kids over time. Right. So we're trying to fix detrimental effects of this problem mm -hmm. in the long term. And this is, this is, you know, as Justin mentioned, this is a broader systemic problem. This is but one element in that problem. Uh, but the, the need is particularly clear right now. Uh, I think the governor gets credit for addressing this problem during the pandemic through an executive order. This bill is, is necessary and, and, and really valuable for doing exactly that, for solving two problems at once, right? Mm -hmm. Provi providing access to, to daycare for working parents, but also making sure that the child care provider market doesn't die, right, in California, doesn't suffer, you know, permanent damage, so that when we're out of the pandemic, we need these providers, especially, you know, the, the small neighborhood home-based providers. We need them to be invested uh, and viable so that they will then be able to do what they do well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... How long do you think it would take to see the effects of this bill once it is passed, you know, once we're out of the pandemic? Um, I see the effects of this bill um, being implemented. Uh, I see immediate change. You yeah. know, you, you see that, you know, the, the provider I mentioned that, you know, was, you know, um, uh, provider provider in the EC profession mm -hmm. for over 30 years, I see her feeling um, a greater sense of stability, right. a greater sense of um, she's able to now kind of return to uh, the kind of, I won't say normal style of business, but a little bit more stability within her her day-to-day uh, -day of, of her childcare business. Um, uh, another great thing that this is able to address is that there's a need for also staffing into these EC providers, whether it's their family child care homes or the, fam uh, the, the child care centers. You know, it, it opens up that opportunity for capacity and then the, the ability for us to be able to bring more ECE professionals into the system. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, it, it's going to have an immediate effect and it's going to uh, work for the accessibility of families, the most impoverished families that are trying to work, trying to go to school. Um, again, the uh, um, you know what, what Crystal stairs and what we're trying to do in the early care and education system in California is bring families to self-sufficiency. Mm -hmm. Right? It's not about a handout, but a hand up. Right? How do we go from surviving to thriving? in our communities, and that's what this bill will have an immediate effect on. Let me, let me answer it in a slightly different direction, which is if this bill doesn't pass, right, and, and, and it will, I mean, I'm fairly sure it will, but if, if policies like these aren't pursued and, uh, and implemented, uh, the, the negative impacts are immediately clear. And so, you know, if you consider, especially in this labor market, right, you know, you've got child care providers that do this out of love. Uh, you know, these are, even where you've got a good, stable business, very few people are getting wealthy uh, by yeah. providing neighborhood-based child care. Right. Um, but, but they, they do, do it out of love. And, and California has, a, has a, again, a very rigorous but fairly well-thought-out system for certification, for staffing ratios. And if those people decide for whatever reason uh, that this isn't viable, they can make more money right now taking hourly jobs, doing other things, but the cost to us as communities is really high. So we need to make sure that, and the, and the other important thing is once they're gone, they're really hard to replace. Uh, and so we need to make sure that there is continuity, uh, but also, you know, uh, sustainability. Uh, and we need then moving forward to make sure that we recognize the contributions of, of these providers and we make sure that there are paths to running a good business, but also, you know, that there's uh, good incentives to be in that industry, to be a certified child care professional, because, you know, that's the only way that working families are going to have the economic foundation to move up uh, and onward in California's economy. Yeah, that's 
Yeah, so that's, this is clearly a very important thing that we're doing for our economy. So how can our viewers find out more about this bill and support it if they, they're, you know, yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, I come come here representing Crystal Stairs, a nonprofit Los Angeles-based childcare agency. But I'm part of the ECE Coalition, which is about 40 membership of uh, agencies similar to ours across the state of California. And one of our members is uh, CAPA, uh, which is the California Alternative Payment uh, Association. And this bill um, is being championed by them. And Really shout out to the Kappa team. Um, what I want what I want the viewers to do uh, is view that website Kappa um, Kappa online. Um, it's, it's a really great website that shows what this bill is all about. Information sheets, fact sheets on uh, really what this bill will do and and how critical it is to our early care and education system in California. Yeah, and we'll include that in our show notes as well. And let me just add, I'm here. I'm a, I'm a co-author, but I'm actually standing in for. Uh, Assemblymember Crick Silva, um, you know, reach out to her office uh, if you go to uh, leginfo.com. I think if you search California legislative information, there's there's a website that'll show you where a bill is and you know what process, uh, what the hearings are coming up. Uh, and by all means, you know, send an email to her office in support. Uh, it would be, I think, interesting and useful for anybody who has, has is uh, interested in this area. Call in, you know, for the next hearing, and and, and there's a public, you know, input period at the end of every hearing uh, and you'll get to say who you are and you support and you know your support for it that actually is quite helpful and I urge people to do it awesome so that way our viewers can support it if they want to um, so we have kind of discussed this bill the center and you and I want to discuss some of the other bills that you were working on specifically everyone knows gas prices have just hiked up you know people are paying upwards of seven dollars for a gallon of gas you have been working on some bills, um, SB 942 in particular and SB 1329. 942 is about transit ridership and 1329 is um, clean transportation infrastructure. Do you want to talk a little bit more about how that would combat this problem and several other kinds Yeah, I'm glad, glad to. You know, so one is one sort of is addresses a need in the short term, the other is kind of a long, longer term set of goals. Uh, 942. Uh, is a bill that would provide the state uh, the ability to. We, we, there are funds that come from the greenhouse gas funds from something called cap and trade that raises money every year uh, to to address climate change, uh, and so some of those monies are eligible for use in transit systems to promote you know reduced fare programs for students, reduced fare programs, free fare programs for workers in areas. Uh, and because of the way the bill was, you know, the, the legislation was originally written for that. Um, uh, Entities like the Orange County Transit Transportation Authority can only do those things on a pilot basis. Even if they work, they, it's very difficult to continue them and kind of to start from scratch. So what this bill does is it allows for ongoing use of these monies so that, that as we learn what works, uh, especially now during the pandemic for you know those workers who are most impacted, giving them access to free transit, giving students access to free and reduced transit, really important. So it just makes... Uh, you know, for a, a legislative or, or budgeting basis to keep doing that in ways that work. The other bill uh, is is actually 1329 is, is a bill um, that is endeavors to help uh, create a viable platform for hydrogen fuel vehicles. There's really two ways to fuel cars and trucks with uh, zero emissions fuels. Batteries are one. The other, far less known, are, you know, hydrogen fuel, uh, fuel cell vehicles. I drive one. Uh, and so the state has, has, as a matter of official policy, has kind of a, a neutral position on both. But we haven't really invested uh, on the hydrogen side. And there's a whole 
sort of slice of California's drivers for whom battery electric cars aren't, they're not affordable yet, but even when they are, they're not necessarily good practical options, right? If you live in an apartment building, if you have a very irregular schedule, battery electric cars might be challenging where hydrogen fuel cell cars could be because you fuel them just like a gas car, just you'll be using gaseous hydrogen instead of petroleum-based products. And, And hydrogen produces no emissions, uh, and we have to, California has always enjoyed kind of a leadership role in the development of these kinds of technologies. So that's what this bill does. It's, it tries to, you know, make sure that as we develop these platforms, uh, one doesn't get left behind because uh, we need both. We're going to need both to transition California's drivers to zero emissions vehicles as soon as possible. So thanks for asking. Yeah, no problem. I actually asked for a personal reason, too. I drive a Toyota Mirai. I have been doing it for almost a year. And do you have the new one or the old one? I have a used one. Okay. So you have the Jetsons looking one, uh, and I have I have the, the next version. And so you will outside oh, now. So and, and so you'll attest. It's a it's a wonderful car, mm-hmm. uh, and it's also a big pain in the butt to get fuel for. So so this is the problem, right? And so you've got you know you've got um, thirty million cars in California, give or take, and there's six thousand gas stations. There's about forty eight thousand gas nozzles, if you think of it that way. There's only fifty three hydrogen stations right now. There's 13,000 cars, but that could grow very quickly. But we have this chicken-egg problem. Right. Need more stations for people to want the car. You need more cars for the stations to want to invest. That's the problem that my bill is trying to address. So I knew there was a reason why you were so smart about this. Yeah. Very specific. No, no. I appreciate it. And so I'm surprised we haven't met at one of the local stations as we've all frustratingly waited for systems to come back online or for the, you know, for the fuel to be refilled. How long, how, like, what's the longest time you waited for refueling? Oh, I, I've had, I, I mean, I've had times where I've been stuck mm-hmm. at the station waiting for the, you know, somebody to come refill it because I did not have enough range left to get to a neighboring station. Mm-hmm. Um, where, yeah, I think two hours. I mean, you can get to know a lot of people uh, in, in two <laughs> hours, right? Like, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 So, I've also, I think, waited upwards to two hours. I bet, but, you know, I've actually met people where, where you know, there's a station in Placentia mm-hmm. uh, where a guy said to me, like, you know, you know, what's the deal? You know, I, said, I don't know. And he said, well, I, I live in Norco, and I only have six miles of range mm-hmm. left. And he's like, I'm stuck here. So, <laughs> I don't know how long he was there. But I, I actually, I, I, because I've gotten so involved in this, I have the phone numbers for most of the companies that provide mm-hmm. fuel, so I call the guy directly, um, and they said they were going to send somebody out faster. But, but it's, you know, it, it, the thing that I remind people is, this is a wonderful technology, but we have to make sure that, that you know, we allow the markets to kind of uh, invest and develop. And there was probably a time in, like, 1907 when people had all, these, had all these cool horseless carriages, and they had to figure out how to get, you know, refined petroleum into them. Uh, and we've, we've got, you know, it's at the same point of development uh, but the state, you know, the state in this case, California, has to play a role in making sure that all of the market participants have incentives to do it. Because if we can do that, um, hydrogen will cost less fairly soon uh, than gasoline. And if you can get to that point, then it starts to really get exciting because then people have not only a kind of a moral reason to address climate change, they've got a practical incentive to do it. And that's exactly how markets are supposed to work. I think as a student, somebody who works, you know, part-time, I already have a really good practical reason for it too, along with the moral reason, because 
we, we got the um, free gas fueling card from the state, from the state right. as well as the incentive when I was leasing the car out. So really, this was the best option for me as somebody right. who doesn't have that stable income. I don't have kids, but I do need to, you know, sure. get back and forth. So. Um, when, when the, the gas prices were hiking up, up and all everyone was going crazy, and I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Uh, but I knew it in line quite a long time. So, you know, so everybody who's bought a, you know, one of these cars recently, yeah. you get as part of the incentives, you get a preloaded debit card that pays, yes. you know, probably for your fuel for three years, right? So there's a price on the pump, but you generally don't have to pay it. But, you know, it's the equivalent of you know, a lot more per gallon of gas if, you, if you're paying yeah. that way. And so I, I've had times where I either couldn't find my debit card or, or oh. didn't, it was really frustrating, it didn't work, and, and mm-hmm. had to make, you know, actual oh. real money. Um, but, but, but the, you know, but the trajectory is, is what it should be. It's, it's coming down. Um, and what, what we need is we need, we need more drivers. We need more fueling stations. But we also need car manufacturers to really get excited about this prospective market and to invest in new models and you know greater range and those kinds of things. And so, so thank you for being part of this experiment. Um, and so, um, you know, sometimes challenging, but all in, I think, pretty encouraging. And and you know, so the viewers know, the state's official policy is is by the year 2035 that no new car will that, that actually uses internal combustion that uses fossil fuels will be sold in California. So to get to that point, we have to make really big progress really quickly. And so you there's you can't sell enough electric vehicles. You probably can't convert enough drivers for just, you know, pure battery electric vehicles. So, you know, this hydrogen fuel cell technology is is a necessary and really promising component of that. All righty. So thank you so much for both of you for being here and explaining uh, AV 1649, as well as uh, your other transportation bills. Um, did you want to add anything else at the end for the viewers who are watching? And good. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, you know, I, I just uh, always, uh, one, appreciate the opportunity to be able to, you know, have this rich discussion at a, more, a very um, critical time um, in California um, when it comes to our early care and education system. You know, as we've, you know, talked about, it's a mass exodus of, you know, child care providers in the easy profession. Um, there's a significant population disproportionately of black women and brown women and in, in, in communities of color, uh, women of color um, that have not returned to the workforce because there's a lack of accessibility to high um, high quality, affordable child care. And so, um, you know, there's no more critical time than right now to pass legislation like this and uh, a significant amount of others that comes with long-term substantial funding. So I'm excited, like I said, about these type of conversations and excited to have champions in the legislature like Senator Newman and uh, the Fullerton Observer for being able to be able to broadcast and bring awareness to um, the need for equity um, in the early care and education system for our child care providers and our most hard, um, hard and hard in need uh, and and working families um, in California. So thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you for being here. And, and let me say, I, I'm grateful for Justin and and, and Crystal Sears and other partners in doing this work. Uh, I commend Assemblywoman Sharon Quicksilver for actually uh, introducing the bill. I'm glad to support as a co-author. Um, also, as you can see, we're you know we're here at the the mm-hmm. Observer, um, and to Justin's point, you know commend the Observer. There aren't that many places, unfortunately, to have these kinds of conversations, and so we're very lucky in this area to have the Fulton Observer, mm-hmm. um, and I'm excited to see the Observer has entered the digital era. <laughs> um, and I, I actually have another bill. Uh, I'm a I'm a joint author with Senator Steve Glazer uh, of a bill that seeks to provide uh, funds for independent local news 
gathering organizations that have been so devastated by changes in kind of the you know the information economy. So love to come back and talk about that sometime. Yeah. Uh, but nice to see you, Aruj. And so I guess yeah. this is the point where I have to commend not only you, uh, but but Professor Jody Balma. Uh, yes. So everybody <laughs> who works here is, is apparently a graduate in some fashion of one of Jody's courses. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we are so lucky to have Jody uh, and Fullerton College in this area as a pipeline mm -hmm. uh, for really smart, thoughtful people doing this kind of work. So thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here and making time from your busy schedule. Um, so we're on our episode here. If you need any more information, we'll have some links in the description. Thank you.